Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. There's only one word that matters in business in the early days, and that is the word survival. Whilst you're alive, throw yourself 100% into whatever you do and make the best of this wonderful life that we all lead. Hello and welcome to the Voom podcast from Virgin Media Business. I'm Nikki Beatty and if you've been following Voom so far this year, you'll know that businesses across the UK and Ireland are currently battling it out in the first round of the Voom competition, working hard to gain votes from the public to make it through for the chance to pitch their business ideas to Richard Branson. With £1 million worth of prizes at stake, there's a lot to play for. And right now, entrants are doing all they can to ramp up their publicity efforts to gain support before the votes close on the 15th of May. So, on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about some of the key tools they can use to their advantage and things that are relevant to nearly every modern business in this day and age, social media and online marketing. Today in the studio, I'm joined by three experts from different areas of the industry. The first is a man behind one of the internet's most successful viral video companies, a network gaining over 5 billion views per month and owning some of Facebook's most clicked pages, including VT, Nailed It and Twisted. A very warm welcome to Jamie Bolding, the founder and CEO of Jungle Creations. Hello, Jamie. Hello. Why Jungle? Um, so I started a WhatsApp group like three years ago now, and I just started my first Facebook page, VT. Um, and I knew that we wanted to kind of build a, a network of different brands and different communities. So I needed this name for kind of an umbrella company. And the brief was simply, I just wanted it to sound cool. So I literally had a WhatsApp group with 20 mates, and I just said, I need a name of a cool company. We bounced with ideas, and um, yeah, someone's came up with Jungle Creations, and I, I thought it was a cool name, so it stuck. I thought you were going to say that you got lost in a jungle or something. <laughs> right, so whilst Jamie is a king of viral video, our next guest is focused on putting AI at the heart of audience insights, having built a platform that can predict the content that will resonate with a particular target market. The company, Codec AI, provides real-time intelligence to inspire and improve content marketing decisions. It literally tells you what to make before you spend the money and time. And that sounds very clever indeed. Welcome to CEO and co-founder Martin Adams. Hello, Hello. Martin. Good to see you. Good to see you too. What does Codec stand for? So a codec is something that we would have in headphones like we're wearing at the moment. It would basically take data that's very unstructured and put it through a little sort of bridge that makes it useful that, so that we can hear things in the real world. So 
kind of zooming out analogously, that's what we're doing with big structured, unstructured uh, social data. We're making it useful for people in the real world. And joining Martin and Jamie, the third component in today's show, a woman who's written extensively about the way new media has shaped the world of work. She's a presenter. You may know her podcast, Control-Alt-Delete, influencer, former social media editor for British Glamour and author of new book, The Multi-Hyphen Method. Emma Gannon is here. Hello, Emma. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having us. Uh, so tell us what multi-hyphen is. We'll go into more detail a bit later in the in the podcast. But when you say multi-hyphen method, is that because, like you, people are doing so many very different things? Yeah, so it's kind of a book taking back the stigma of the jack-of-all-trades thing, which I still think people don't like to pigeonhole themselves as. But essentially, I've started to, well, started a bit of a movement, I hope about taking it back and thinking, actually, it's fine. I work less, I make more money now, I'm happier. So, yeah, it's all about that. Uh, three amazing minds at the table, and I hope our listeners are going to come away with plenty of tips today. A question first, though. When you were all thinking about choosing a career, did you ever imagine that social media would play such a big part? Emma, how monumental has the shift to social been? I've always been really into it. To be honest, I was, well, were we all on MySpace here? No. I, I was coding I a, a MySpace page like when I was about 13. So I was a bit of a geek from the get-go, I think. So I was always a little bit early to everything. No, it's not like showing off or anything. But um, I just, I remember being on Facebook, for example, before any of my friends. And I just felt drawn to it early. Mm. So I've always been early to it, I think. And is social media then one of the biggest disruptions to the business world in the last decade? I think so. You're nodding at that, yeah. Martin. Yeah, I think fundamentally it is. It puts power back in the hands of people. It says to businesses or governments or any organisation, essentially, don't take us for granted. We have a voice now and, you know, listen to us and serve us. And the, the power of the influencer. I'm, I'm assuming everybody knows what an influencer is. Do you want to sum that up for us? Yeah, I mean, I don't call myself an influencer. I, I did. I, I called I, you an influencer. But I think it's okay if someone else calls you it. Ah. I think in massive corporations, it's just easy for this umbrella term to be used in a massive office space to sign off on a budget. Oh, this person is an influencer. That's fine. But I think essentially it's just someone who influences people to make a decision because they trust the person who's saying it. it but is it a bad word then for you? I mean, it, can you think of another description? I mean, I always, I mean, I write books and I am a broadcaster. I have a podcast. I am a multi-hyphenate. I can't sum it up in like right, one word. Right. But I think I don't do what I do to influence anyone. No. If you are influenced, that's your decision. But I just put out my stuff on the internet. Jamie, you're yes. at the helm of one of the most influential video creation companies on the web right now. Where did you begin with Jungle Creations? Take us back to the beginning. Um, I guess I can go kind of all the way back to when I was, you know, 12, 13 and, you know, similar to you kind of trying to experiment and see what was out there and try and make money online. And I was kind of very techy when I was younger. And I guess that kind of over time that led me to social media. But I guess the kind of the pivotal moment was during university when I started a couple of different businesses, um, student-based websites. And, you know, the mission was to get people to these websites. <laughs> and that's a really tough thing to do. And, you know, you can have, you can do SEO and try and get people from Google. You can do flyering around Manchester 
to which was where I was at university and um, the website was formatted to students. But then there was this thing called social media, which obviously I was using um, while growing up and understood the power of Facebook and Twitter. And, you know, the power that social media had and the ability um, to drive so much traffic from these platforms to a website was just, um, you know, it was unparalleled to anything else that was out there at the time. So it was just a really obvious thing at the time because it was just such a massive opportunity to utilize social media to drive traffic. And then, you know, moving forward, it was just kind of you need to build a business on social media. So did you discover a magic formula for viral video? I don't, I wouldn't say we discovered a magic formula, but I think the thing is with social media, it's always changing. It's mm. always, it's always adapting. You know, the algorithm is, is changing. So you need to, that formula is always going to be old. The main mission is just to try and make content that resonates with people and that evokes emotion. You know, the, the, that's the kind of the basic stuff. But the way you do that in the different formats, that will change over time. And how did you realise that there was an, a business in this? I think... It was sheerly because of the yeah, the sheer numbers of people that were using these platforms, Facebook and Twitter, and the opportunity to you know show these people videos or, or send them to websites or show them information or um, you know just utilize that 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 massive opportunity. And you know it was just the sheer numbers and having that access to so many people through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Just yeah, it just showed that there was a huge opportunity there. So uh, we keep talking about Facebook. I was at Facebook headquarters um, uh, last month, mm-hmm. which was a bit sinister, to say the least. <laughs> but it, in light of what's been happening with Facebook, has that affected your business? Um, I would say... Did you it, get worried when you saw the headlines, for example? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely been a tough year. Um, you know, we obviously focus on social media as a whole. Mm. Facebook is a big part of social media. And as I said before, social media is changing rapidly, which is natural because it's new and it's massive and it's, it is changed society, let alone changing businesses. Um, so it's always going to change and adapt. And that's positive in some ways because it, it creates opportunities for people like us. But when we've kind of already built a business, it kind of shakes things up a bit and mm. it is scary. But I think that yeah, seeing those headlines... Obviously, it is slightly scary, but you know, it's it's how Facebook are reacting and how social media is reacting, and it's reacting in the in the right way. So Good. that is positive. Good. I'm glad for you, Martin. You would. I, I'm coming to you anyway now, but you were desperate to say something then. Well, well, I think it's just important that you know we talk about social media. The emphasis really should be on the word social. That's the the word that's new about this whole thing, and that involves being social. And a lot of brands and a lot of players that have come onto these platforms that were originally, let's not forget, built for students built for, you know, very kind of local networks. They, they've forgotten that or they, or, they, or they struggled to understand it in the first place. I think with Cambridge Analytica and Facebook and everything else, the companies that have done okay and will continue to do absolutely fine are those that remember this fact of being social. They continue to try and make things that the audience care about. They don't do what the Cambridge Analyticas of this world did, which was to try and understand the individual to such an intricate, personalised, individualised level that they could throw at them whatever that the highest paying customer wanted. So companies yeah. like Jungle Creations and, 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 you know, companies like myself, dare I say, that are actually trying to understand the audiences in order to better serve them, to nourish them with better content, those will always do well and be sustainable. So when it comes to content creation, a lot of companies are simply churning out stuff that's polluting the internet, as, as you might say. How is Codec.ai bringing data insights into play, 
to make more effective content then? Absolutely. So, I mean, we're a deep tech platform. We use a bunch of machine learning and AI to actually understand third-party content. So we can culturally identify what is in that content. We can classify it to say this is about spiritual wellness or nutritional or something, veganism, whatever it is. We can basically turn invisible things into really, really helpful data, which then deliver back as creative intelligence into the big brands of this world. So our customers are people like Unilever and L'Oreal, UBS, Nestle, people like that. And essentially now they get to see what does this audience care about outside of the things that I might ordinarily want to talk to them about. So if I'm a coffee brand, maybe I want to talk to them about coffee, but actually maybe they care about something else and I can weave my messaging into the things that matter to them. Well, why is it such a unique application? How does it work? Yeah, so most companies out there are essentially ad tech companies. They're trying to understand an individual and they will do that by tracking that individual as they move across the social or the the traditional web. So lots of cookies, things like that. Mm. And their goal is basically to sell that information so that advertisers can hit them with an individualized piece of basically display ads, something really boring or something really creepy or annoying. What we do is we've invested in the artificial intelligence technology that can essentially classify and understand content. So we would apply deep learning, let's say, on millions of different third-party images so that we could say there's a cluster of images that are coming out here. These are images that contain a certain color scheme or a certain certain filter type or a certain type of cropping so that we can deliver that back as a sort of aggregated form of intelligence to say, if this is the target audience in this particular market that you wish to know more about and to better serve, stay away from the following topics or go towards the following passion points that they have or colour schemes or filters or things like that. And you have already uh, won awards. One of the hottest artificial intelligence startups in Europe, you were voted by TechCrunch. Also, best artificial intelligence product in marketing at the COGX Awards. What is COGX, by the way? CognitionX is a really impressive company. It's sort of uh, emerging basically as the body of artificial intelligence in the UK. They're now working with the Mayor of London's office to sort of really represent London as a place for artificial intelligence for companies to come and build build their companies here. So a broad and potentially naive question to all of you. How do you judge whether content is good or not? Emma, let me come to you first. Um, I would say if it's shared or if it's engaged with. Yeah, I mean that's quite simple. But yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm all about the numbers. That's obviously something that you need to grow and to, you know, get interest in what you're doing. But I'm, I am all about that sort of percentage of people who actually care. I think we're all over the whole influencer with millions of followers when no one does anything. So how, if you've got an influencer with millions of followers? presumably if they've got a percentage of those followers who do engage, that would count, would it? I mean, I'm just asking naively. So there's a new tool out called Niche that Twitter have launched. And they kind of compare engagement. So, for example, I have quite a small following on Instagram, I would say, like 20,000. I just followed you. Thanks, (laughs) every little help. 20,001. But apparently I've got the same engagement as someone as big as Kim Kardashian because of the, you know, that just that percentage of of conversion. So I think that's quite interesting for brands because why would you go for just like the biggest person all the time? Why would you 
just pick that. It makes total sense. But as you were saying earlier, Jamie, social media is growing and adapting. The rate of change is so rapid. So people live and learn, quite it's, literally. It's not easy for businesses because, as I touched on earlier, they've sort of been asked to come in now and play on these new platforms with new rules. And even whatever we're talking 15 years after the advent of them, it's still tricky. So when it comes to what we might call influencers or sometimes I call social alphas, there's a PR mindset which says, yeah, but we really want to work with Kim Kardashian. And that's one mindset. But actually, we have to try and move towards the results and towards a more scientific approach, which is to say engaging a, a smaller type of influencer may well be more effective and more efficient. Yeah, and you're you're fighting against two. Th- we're well, not fighting against two things, but there's there's two big things that um, are at play here. One is the algorithm, and the other is is the viewer. And obviously, the algorithm is supposed to be designed to give the best experience for the viewer or for mm-hmm. the user. But sometimes they don't work completely in sync. So when you pay when you create a piece of content, you have to think right. Well, what's going to work well? The algorithm. So the algorithm will boost that piece of content, and then once that's kind of boosted through the algorithm and it's doing certain things that the algorithm want, then you need to then um, appear he's the, the user so that when the algorithm boosts it it puts it in front of a bunch of viewers um, and then once they're viewing it it evokes emotion they want to engage with it and they actually enjoy that content so can you all give me a favorite example of effective pieces of content from your own campaigns emma i mean i, I know you haven't per se got a campaign but maybe you've got an example of how content can really work and be effective well there's loads of examples. I've worked with a lot of brands on the podcast, for example, that have had major conversion rates, like number one in the careers business chart for weeks. And it's, you know, it's a piece of branded content, which sort of surprises me, but because it's so natural and because it's something that I would do anyway, mm. it's performed really well. So I'm, I'm very confident about monetizing that now because I'm, I'm just joining forces with people that really make sense. Can you give us a, a, an example? Um, yeah, so one that I did recently was a live event, live podcast recording with Britta, and it was all about um, plastic in the ocean, and we had Lily Cole and Henry Holland and some really amazing experts from um, the Marine Conservation Society, and and we did it, and I, I felt bad that I thought, oh, people probably won't download this one, it's a bit dry, we're talking about, you know, saving the world. Mm. Um, it got the most downloads, and like the Brita, they're like the portable filters. Yes. Um, people were tweeting like mad, saying they were going to buy them. And then another one was with Starling Bank, talking about um, how to manage your money better, and people were downloading the app. And I just find that if it makes sense, actually, it's a piece of content I can be really proud of. Mm. Excellent advice. What about you, Jamie? You know, at Jungle, we have different communities. And the reason why we have those is because we want each kind of brand that, that operates in that community to have a different voice and a different audience and um, yeah, have a completely different demographic. So therefore, when we find a brand, we can then fit them with the right community. So we have Twisted, the food community that you said. And, you know, our main kind of goal with that was to have a really fun place where you can make cooking fun and really shareable so that all the recipes we do are... What's done make... best on Twisted then? Give us a great oh, we example. Had, we had, Recently, we had this, perhaps. Big like um, cinnamon swirl pie that we put out. It got 100 million views. And, 
Um, but but we, we started working with Bailey's and we now have a, um, a long-term partnership with Bailey's. And Bailey's is really great because it's all about sharing with your friends and it's all about making these Not fun. in my house, it's not. <laughs> I buy that chocolate one. I don't yeah. even li- I don't like normal Bailey's. It's, really? it's, not, it's not on my radar, but that chocolate one, it's the good. Belgian chocolate mm-hmm. one. But a lot of the time, it's, you know, you have your friends over. No, we don't. I'm kidding. And that resonated really well because our audience are used to making stuff with friends, tagging mm. their friends, doing these big recipes. And then when we kind of incorporated Bailey's into these, these recipes, it resonated so much with the audience. So the views were huge. The engagement was massive. And obviously, um, the effect for the brand was, was really positive. Great example. Thank you. Jamie, mm. let's get into some of the nitty gritty of what makes something viral. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I know because there are various areas that you're working with, there are no hard and fast rules, perhaps. But is, for example, a video length important? Who's pictured? Whether there's text, whether there are hashtags? Talk us through some of that. This okay, is I mean, for tips yeah. in there's, terms there, of there is, Yeah, there's lots, but I think there's a few key tips that can be remembered. I think that what's super important now is changing the format for different platforms. So a YouTube video is going to be completely different than something you put on Facebook and something you put on Instagram. They used to be one of the same, well, not really one of the same, but you could maybe put the same content on Facebook and Instagram and it might, might work as well. And that's what a lot of brands do. They just recycle the same content across different platforms. But... Different people use different platforms for different reasons and different formats work. So always remember to use different types of content. I think maybe for Facebook, it's really important to remember the first three seconds. Um, the algorithm plays a massive part on Facebook simply because of the scale of it and so many people are on it and there's so much content on there. So the algorithm um, plays a big role in you know binning some content or taking content and pushing it into people's feeds. And the first three seconds is a really massive indicator because that's, you know, people scrolling through the feed. And if they watch past those first few seconds, that's a big indication that people are interested in that video and therefore it gets gets bumped. Mm -hmm. But a big thing now with Facebook um, is meaningful social interactions, which I'm sure you guys have heard about. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are shares, long comments and creating kind of conversations with your content. So asking questions and generating that conversation. Um, So you need to always think with Facebook, you know, the first three seconds, make it attention grabbing and then mm-hmm. get it into a story with enough um, enough meaning and content in it to, to, to kind of generate those conversations. It can't be throwaway content anymore. It needs to, needs to kind of provide genuine value to the user. Um, there's also things with formatting as well. So on Facebook, people are mostly on their mobile phones. So you need to edit so it's kind of square or vertical video right. instead of widescreen. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people will make a widescreen video because maybe it works well on YouTube or because that's what they see on their computers. But everyone's on their mobile. So yeah. you need to take up the whole screen. They're not going to flip their screens. Um, they want to, yeah, you want to have a vertical or square format. So it's, it's little things like this that can make a big difference for a startup. But I think the main thing is... Yeah, just creating content that, that really generates um, or evokes an emotion in the user and that, you know, that really is, it isn't passive content and it's meaningful content. I think that's the most important thing. Martin, Codec AI provides specific content insights for different audiences, but there, there must be universal trends that you see time and time again. The interesting thing, I think, and it kind of links to a tip, I guess, ultimately, is when you're thinking about different target audiences that you have, they will be different in different markets that you have them. And a market can be not necessarily just an international market, but you're sort of north or south of the country or, you know, gender specific or whatever it is. So 
beware of using the same best practice rules on different audiences that are actually quite different and actually have different demands. So you may well see that, uh, you know, that social video doesn't work well with a particular audience. So you have to use whatever tools are available. And yes, it can be gut intuition and it can be old fashioned survey methodology or it can be something more advanced. But essentially, try and understand what is right for that particular audience. OK, but then how does a business begin to research their audience? So codec.ai is one option. Um, <laughs> no, I think, I think you have to start with, you know, that commitment, that actual intention to understand them rather than to just do what is what you will get budget for and what is quite easy to do, which is to make essentially a branded bit of content, which is essentially a form of advertising in longer form. It, those are two very, very different things. You have to really want to entertain or nourish the audience. So you can sit with audiences, you can use the sort of iterative method of what's worked in the past, or you can invest in companies that can can do that at a, at a greater scale in using uh, you know deeper technology. But at heart, you have to want to understand what the audience wants, it, and you have to be able to sort of you have to be able to have the control after you have made what is going to resonate with the audience, not then to undo all of your good work and throw your logo in at the beginning, the middle, the end, and everywhere in between. So that commitment to making something the audience wants isn't easy. Yeah, I, th I think it's also important to remember that um, as a brand, and if you know if people are listening, they've got maybe a brand that and they want to use social media to kind of build their audience or connect their audience. Mm -hmm. Their audience that follow them on social media might be slightly different to the audience that they want, for example. Um, maybe because they've put out you know, some bunch of videos and they've got a bunch of likes to the page and, and therefore that audience isn't exactly the audience that they want to have for their brand. So I think it's really important for some brands to remember that although... Because if you just do what the audience wants, say, for example, if you've got 10,000 likes on your Facebook page and you just look at the data that comes back from the content you're putting out and seeing what works and then changing the content around that, you're then really focused too much on what the audience on Facebook want to see, mm. not on what your brand value is and what mm. your brand mission is. So you need to always remember that it might not be what the audience are best reacting to because that might take away from your mission and your values and your voice. So you need to use social media to reinforce your voice, reinforce your mission. And that's, I think, the best way that brands can use social media. Both Emma and Martin are nodding at that. You, yeah. You... I mean, I always think, what would I do if Instagram died tomorrow? What if YouTube went away tomorrow? What if Facebook went away mm. tomorrow? Because I own my own platforms. I have my own website. I own a lot of my content and a lot of where it lives and actually I feel like genuinely I would be fine but I think when it comes to building a brand I, I don't like to be too competitive these days and I know that that's probably something that I shouldn't say but I like to cross promote I like to collaborate and I like nice. to partner up with people and then we kind of both hit each other's audiences and that's so I think generous it's nice. and lovely but then, I don't know, maybe I need to be more cutthroat. But... No, no, no. But I think no, you've I think come that, from that cutthroat, haven't you? Yeah, I've hustled for it. And yes. now I'm like, let's just all be friends. Well, I think that's yeah, called evolution. Up. What did you just say, Jim? Bring each other up. Um, yeah. You know, this is something that I'm, I try to do with everyone, whether it be competitors of mine or um, whoever. You, you can always help each other grow mm. um, instead of battling your mini battles and then bring each other down. It's just that, that's pointless. Well, talking about your growth, so Jungle Creations pulls in over 5 billion views a month across its channels. That mm. in itself is quite astonishing. It makes it one of the highest ranked content publishers in the world. The biggest of the traditional entertainment institutions, Walt Disney, averages around half that number. 
So what do you think have been the keys to supercharging your business growth to get to this level? There's a lot of, you know, a, a huge focus on social. You know, a lot of other businesses, you know, obviously Disney and Time Warner and et cetera, they are focused on many different platforms. We kind of were very focused on Facebook at the start. Um, and the reason, Is there a reason for that? Well, the reason was simply the the scale that we could get on Facebook. You know, Facebook still is, was, and still is the most used social media platform there is, and therefore the you know that's that's where you can get the biggest scale. So that's where we thought we would focus on. And we were a bootstrap company. You know, we had, didn't have investments, so we have to choose our battles very carefully. And that's why we kind of went into Facebook, and now we're diversifying a bit more. And how have you built your team in such a fast-paced environment? Yeah, I mean, the team's an interesting one. You know, we've been around for about three and a half years now. We just started with just myself, and now we've got 150 people in three offices. And I've got to say, you know, in the last year or so, we may have grown too quickly. And it's, you know, it's created some, you know, some slight issues. I think that growth thing is, is really something you need to be careful of because as an entrepreneur, the trap that I got stuck in maybe in the last year or so was having kind of a lot of, of, of pride and you know saying I've got X amount of people and mm-hmm. that's fantastic but actually you know my job is to serve these people and to make sure that you know they're happy in their role and they're doing great jobs and and you know that that's mostly still true but if you're growing very quickly you will lose the ability to serve all these people and make sure that mm-hmm. um, you know they have um, illustrious careers so so yeah. is that what you mean by there were some issues? Yeah, I, I just think that if there's any lessons that I've learned that I can kind of pass on to other entrepreneurs. It, it, it would definitely be growing quickly is good, but growing sensibly is better. <laughs> and you need to grow sensibly instead of just growing too quickly. And don't worry about those big headline figures of revenue or numbers or people. You want to you know look after your team because the team's the most important part of your business. I'm just so impressed. Um, the more I do this Boom podcast with the number of great minds who have great businesses who are, are being generous and have a level of conscience, it's, it's really it's, it's heartwarming. From new trends in social media marketing to classic advertising plays, right now I want to draw on some top publicity expertise from one of this year's Voom competition partners, JC Decoe. Over to our Voom reporter Chris Reed to find out more. I'm here with Joe Hills from JC Deco. Uh, JC Deco have a massive heritage in out of home advertising, and Joe runs the Nurture program, which is focused exclusively on SMEs. Hello, Joe. Hi, Chris. Uh, Joe, what is outdoor media? Basically, everything we see, is it? Yeah, I mean, outdoor media is everything you see when you're out of the home. So, from bus stops, which is where outdoor began, right through to large format digital screens, such as 40 meter screens at Waterloo Station and everything in between. But yeah, it's a traditional form of media that's very much moved into the modern age. And tell us a little bit about the, the history of JC Deco then. How did it uh, start? And, and what's, the, what's JC Deco's role with small businesses at the moment? So JC Deco remains a family-owned and, and run business. And it was founded by um, Jean-Claude Deco at the age of 18, which is pretty impressive. Proper entrepreneur spirit. Absolutely, yeah. And in fact, I think it was off the back of an argument with its dad. So... Um, very much about disrupting the status quo. But yeah, today, JC Deco operates in over 70 different countries. Um, but we've seen firsthand how a single amazing idea can grow into a global business. 
And really, that's what's inspired us to nurture the brands of the future. And that's why we've created the startup program we have. You know, we believe in innovation and opportunity, and we aspire to do things differently and inspire others with, with our actions. So we created the program to basically the make nurture it... Program, the nurture program. The nurture program, that's correct, in order to help, you know, early-stage businesses get brand fame and get cut through in the real world. And in fact, some of the previous Voom winners and runners-up have benefited uh, hugely from some of your programs. I know um, Watermelon Water last year very cleverly bought media space outside the shops that they'd recently been stocked in purely to drive awareness and attention. So what makes Outdoor so special? I mean, if I was to say some of the core benefits would be the stature and the credibility that it provides for brands. Placing them in the real world it gives them a perceived grandeur, which is really, really valuable as you're scaling your brand. And, and particularly if you're starting out and there's very little awareness of who you are and what you do, then credibility is absolutely crucial. Because what you're asking is for consumers to change what they usually do to begin their journey with you. And I think from previous Voom entrants, what we've, how they've described it is sort of a coming of age that actually once you've got outdoor advertising, out-of-home advertising, you've sort of made it. Absolutely. There's a, there's a real, um, one of the major benefits, and it's also one of the challenges, is that it's perceived as being, for much later stage, more established household names. The benefit of that, of course, is that coming through a program like Nurture, where we help you get access to this stature, is fantastic. It's really valuable in the face of investors and equally in the face of, of potential customers. So, I mean, yeah, we, we talk about startups the whole time and technology. Obviously, we've heard earlier in the program about um, social technologies and, you know, those new businesses that are always itching for a bit of the marketing pot. You know, when a startup is getting to that sort of scale, that they think, yeah, we need to spend some serious money on advertising now. What is the right mix for a startup? Is it all on viral videos? Is it all on outdoors? Or um, is, there, is there a mix? I think there's, there's absolutely a mix and, and finding the optimum balance is absolutely crucial. You know, we would never say to a startup that they should invest their entire marketing budget on out of home. It's about identifying who the consumer is, and we help with that with all the data sets we've invested in, and then how best to reach them. But it's also imperative that startups understand the marketing funnel right through from awareness down to loyalty with customer acquisition in the middle of that and the, the role that different media channels play within that marketing funnel. And out of home traditionally is perceived very much as being right at the top of that marketing funnel. But when you implement online marketing in the right way, then what you do is you find that you follow the consumer right through that journey. So the two certainly need to be employed and in fact, you know, if we were having this conversation with a startup that wasn't using online in the right way, then we would, we would suggest that they revisit that first. So what sort of things could um, a startup expect? Is that the area that you could help out on? Absolutely, yes. So we are fortunate to have an amazing team of creatives and an amazing team of designers. And you give them for free? We do, yeah, through Nurture. Um, it's all about developing a long-term working relationship together. These are the brands of the future, and we want to pay it forward and help them now. So I guess the way in which we help 
is everything from overarching communication strategy, what is the brand about, how should they communicate that, and who should they communicate that to, which our creatives help. Our designers then help actually execute what the campaign looks like. And also, we double whatever they buy from us. So we match their investment in media with us. The really good news is that all of the benefits which startups are eligible to through the Nurture program are made available through our partnership with Voom to all of those in the, in the Voom community. And it's an amazing initiative which we're absolutely delighted to be supporting again. And uh, as well, you're involved in the whole judging process, contributing towards the prize fund as well. And um, I guess keen to find, uh, you know, Britain's next amazing startup who's going to go on and, and advertise with you for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. You know, that's the name of the game. And we've been fortunate through Voom to work with some amazing entrepreneurs from the likes of Watermelon, MacReba. And uh, yeah, just delighted to be continuing that journey, really. Joe Hills from JC Deco, thank you very much for your time. Now, Nikki, back to you in the studio. Thank you very much. Thank you, JC Deco, partners in this year's Voom competition. Some excellent tips there. And remember, if you want to enter Voom, there's still time to do so, with pitch entries open until 7pm tomorrow. That's Tuesday the 8th of May, before the public vote closes on the 15th. So get moving! Full details can be found at virginmediabusiness.co.uk slash voom. Back in the studio now with Jamie Bolding from Jungle Creations, Martin Adams from Codec.ai, Emma Gannon, author of The Multi-Hyphen Method. So a very practical question to you all. Companies mm -hmm. such as those entering the Voom competition this year, for them, do you have any tips in terms of giving your business a social media health check? Jamie. Can I give a more general answer in yeah, terms of tips? Yeah, okay. Um, just because I touched on it earlier and I'm, I'm, I'm super against, um, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are always like, what advice do you have for me? What, what advice can, um, can you give me? And I think that, um, I don't think any entrepreneur should ever ask for advice. I think advice is a really dangerous thing because advice is pretty much just asking people, what should I do? And then people are just saying what worked for them. <laughs> um, I think it's really important that as an entrepreneur, you don't, because you can, you can go to someone who you really respect and they're super successful and say, what do I do? Like, what's your advice? And they'll say something that might work for them 30 years ago, but it might just be completely irrelevant to you. Um, so I think it's really important to, instead of ask, asking for advice, um, ask about experiences and lessons that people have learnt. So instead of asking, what should I do, say, you know, what worked for you and let's see if that applies to me. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a, a, an important thing because I, I think too many entrepreneurs are asking for advice. Um, well, you sort of null and voided my next round of <laughs> No, no, because you, but your question was tips, though. So tips it are good. Was tips is lessons Tip smart in. My main tip would just be to listen to Jamie more. I think that he's absolutely <laughs> nailed it. Good advice. Emma, what about you? I would say just don't feel like you have to be across everything. I think there's so many people out there going, oh, what's our Pinterest strategy for 2020? And I'm like, just do pick some and, pick, and do them really well and, and in line with your objectives and what you're trying to achieve. And we can't talk about... so. Sorry, Jamie, go ahead. Well, I was going to say something about social as well. Um, a bit of a tip or a lesson I've learned <laughs> from social. Yeah. Um, because the platforms have changed so much, I do think that it's a wise idea to choose one platform if you're a small company. Um, you know, Choose Twitter, maybe choose Facebook, choose Instagram first or YouTube. Devise a strategy for that platform and really nail it instead mm. of trying to do... All, no, all four platforms because as a small business if you're bootstrapped you won't be able to good tip. I think that's absolutely right don't do social media 
decide what you need to achieve as an organization, decide your strategic communications goals and ask how social media plays into it. And it probably will be that it's only one platform that really rises to the top. Mm -hmm. Emma, I wanted to talk to you about the wider scope in terms of what social media and new media and being able to be your own publisher, if you like, on platforms like YouTube has done for the world of work as a whole. What's it changed? I think there's a few different reasons why I chose this path. I think I graduated into a recession where you were just lucky to have a job. So I went for that at first. Mm -hmm. I then realised that everyone around me was sort of getting made redundant. I worked in big publishers and in-house at um, magazines and things like that. And I got my dream job working at Condé Nast and I've done all that and that was great and I learned a lot. But... It's not the same. You know, working there is not the same as it was 20 years ago. And the world is changing. And we talk about the future of work. We're in it. We're in the future of work. This is it. We are moving towards a more freelance economy. I think, I hate the word personal branding now, but I think to stand out in the future, you have to be really good at what you do and you have to have a good reputation and you will get amazing opportunities if you stand out. So put simply then, does social media actually help more people to become entrepreneurs today? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I wouldn't have got my book deal without a blog, without Twitter, without, well, Twitter mainly. I think journalists just live on Twitter. I love Instagram now, but I have a newsletter which is really growing at the moment. I think newsletters are back because people can't be bothered to scroll oh, through I millions so hear of things. You. <laughs> which is why the pool, which I I know you I work with... Oh, I love the pool so much. And you can actually tailor-make the newsletter that arrives yeah. in your inbox every morning. And I enjoy it. And it tells you how long the read is. Hmm. So your new book, which is out on the 31st of May, is called The Multi-Hyphen Method. And... Perhaps you want to explain what that alludes to. Well, the book's split up into three parts. So the first part is about how we have new definitions of success now. I think we've all touched on that a bit. It's not really what we thought it was, maybe when we were younger. There's a lot more to growth and success. And, you know, money is a part of that. But what does that mean? The second part is a toolkit. So how to actually practically have a multi-hyphen method without burning out, without getting confused, without having too many options. And actually working less, which is kind of the on the cover, because people think, oh, I don't want to be a multi-hyphenate. I've already got loads on. I'm like, no, no, no. It's about streamlining everything. How much do you work in a day then, an average day? Or is there no such thing because when you're a multi-hyphenate, there are no... Well, it's all about taking on bigger projects. It's not about multitasking. Right. It's about having lots of different things on and you time them well. And then the last bit is really about looking to the future. So how to trend watch, basically. Because I think people really want to know that. They want to know how can you see a little bit into the future and sort of prepare, future-proof yourself and not become irrelevant. It is a bit scaremongery, I'm not going to lie. The book is quite like, you need to do this now. Because I do believe people <laughs> don't understand. For, then? It's for everyone. I, I don't... I mean, my first book was dubbed as like a millennial memoir, which was fine. That worked in the marketing this department. This was Control-Alt-Delete. Yeah, but this second book is really for, for anyone. And, and I really want to break that myth that, um, you know, you have to be in like the media world in London. You don't at all. We can't talk about social media without talking about addiction to our phones, uh, the curse of this new generation of people interacting. It's easy to get lost in a vortex of never-ending clickbait, etc., how, as businesses, can you be 
more responsible with social media? I'm going to ask all three of you very briefly. Emma. I mean, don't spam anyone. I I don't know. I I act like I do in real life on social media. I think I I ask for favours. I tell people what I'm doing. I I self-promote a lot, but in a way that I don't think feels icky. I suppose, um, yeah, just don't harass people. And also, you know, engage with other people more than you're just broadcasting. Yeah. You know, have a ratio have a ratio and also have a ratio with your sponsored content. No one wants to follow you just because you're a walking advert. Even though people are happy for you when you partner with cool brands because if you're being honest about it, mm-hmm. you know, we all have to make money and people are happy for you if you partner with a cool brand, but yeah. don't do it in a way that feels really braggy or really like you're trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes, you know, we're all friends here. I think the um I think the key thing is you just gotta try and remember that you're you should be providing value to your audience and value can come in different ways. You know, it could be just a little bit of a meme that cheers someone up and makes them smile. Mm. Um, or it could be if you're doing a branded piece of content, you might really believe in that product and that product might actually bring a huge amount of value to some of your audience's lives or you know all of their lives. But just tr- whenever you put anything out there, it should always be um, bringing value to someone in some way. And if it's a piece of content that's not going to bring value to anyone, mm. then it's something you shouldn't be putting out. I heard that phrase value per follow the other day. So essentially... Yeah. For every follow you get, you know, you should always be bringing value. I like that. Ah, that's good. Martin? Don't lose your focus as you get larger budgets. So very early stage startups will not really have the money to pay to get in front of audiences. And that can drive them to be really creative. It can drive them to take risks and have actually purpose at the core of what they do. As you hopefully move up the food chaining and, and get a bit richer, so to speak, as a, as a company, don't lose sight of that fact. Don't just try and get in front of people now that you can, uh, you can pay to do so. Thank you all so very much. Thank you. I wish we had part two of this because we've <laughs> only scratched the surface, but um, it's been an enjoyable itch to scratch. Thank you so Thank much. You. Yeah, thanks, Thank, Thank you. you. A huge thank you to my guests today. Jamie Bolding from Jungle Creations, Martin Adams from Codec.ai and Emma Gannon, author of The Multi-Method. Uh, also, a big thank you to JC Deco and our Voom reporter, Chris Reed. And for more about the Voom competition and to vote for your favourite companies entering, do head to the website, virginmediabusiness.co.uk slash Voom. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit subscribe and feel free to leave us a review. We'll be back in two weeks' time, but until then, from me, Nikki Beatty, thank you. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 